From Blister, this is All Things Climbing. I'm Dave Alley. This week, we're talking to Austrian climber Barbara Zongrel, who, along with her partner Jacopo, recently sent Magic Mushroom on El Cap. This is the pair's third free route on the captain, but just the first repeat ascent since the route was first freed by Tommy Caldwell and Justin Shong in 2012. At the time, Tommy reported that Magic Mushroom, with a 14A crux and many 513 pitches, was his hardest big wall free climb yet, making it El Cap's most difficult free route until the Dawn Wall was freed in early 2015. We talk about the route, style and ethics in big wall climbing, how she made the transition from bouldering to hard trad climbing, and how climbing culture is different in Europe than in the U.S. I had a great time talking to her. I hope you enjoy it. Take a listen. So yeah, thanks so much for being on the show. It's really great to talk to you, and um, congratulations on sending Magic Mushroom. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the invitation. The, you mentioned um, you mentioned uh, getting off at work at, at 5. What is it that you do for work? Uh, for work, I... I'm a radiographer. Oh, cool. Um, so I work in the hospital doing the x-ray job. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. How does that fit in with uh, the demands that climbing places on your life? My, it's quite easy because I have a really flexible job. I can uh, work a few days in a row. And after I have free time for three weeks or something. So it's cool to have a, a balance in between climbing and and doing the other things. Do they think of you as having a secret life, your coworkers? Yeah, it's 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 funny because I go on these holidays. They are thinking, but I go on climbing trips and um, trying some different projects. And for them, it's really hard to understand how I can get um, money out of climbing, doing this stuff because I don't compete to to other climbers. And yeah, this is not easy to understand for them. <laughs> um, so, you know, you've said in the past that you, when you were first getting into climbing as a boulderer, you um, received some pressure from your parents or your community to, you know, why don't you simply go skiing or, you know, why don't you take up a more, um, I guess, normal pastime? What was it about climbing that made you... Um, I guess, gravitate towards it. You know, why, why does climbing stick and not skiing? Yeah, I started skiing in the early years because everybody's skiing here in Austria. Mm. My parents um, did a lot of skiing and everybody's doing a lot of skiing and you are going skiing every day. It doesn't matter if the weather is good or bad. And yeah, at the end it was... It was like too much and yeah. I wanted to do something different. And then I started climbing and my parents have no relation to climbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for me, it was also cool to go together with my friends. You know, we drove away every weekend. We went on a weekend trip to Switzerland, to Ticino, go bouldering there. Or we drove to Italy to go bouldering there. And I was away from home and having fun together with friends. It was all about that. And with skiing, I I always went with my parents and I was like in a a training team and we had a really hard training from from beginning on. And this was not really a playful way to to get into the sport. And maybe this was the reason why I stopped skiing really early. And yeah. change to to another another thing. Well, so when you started out as a boulder, uh, um, do you know? Did you have a sense then that you would be drawn to um, climbing routes, or, uh, really of any length? But I guess even even some of the longer routes that you've you've done uh, more recently in your career, or or was that not something that was on your radar at all when you were initially uh, bouldering? No, I was so focused on bouldering. I was not 
motivated to climb with rope. Okay. <laughs> Never. It was just on rest days when I had no more skin on my fingers. Then I was like, okay, I, I joined the others to go for some rope climbing. But I, I really was into bouldering. And yeah, at, at this time it was it was the, the injury I had. Mm. It was because of um, trying a lot of different boulders and jumping off all the time. You know, it was not mm. an accident. It was just, I it see. happened over the time that I got a damaged um, disc, a yeah. broken disc. Oh, man. And then I had to stop because the climbing was not a problem, but jumping off all the time. The impact yeah. was too hard. And So once you start getting into rope climbing and, and decide that, you know, you have a real aptitude and a real interest in it, how long was it before you thought, oh, maybe I would like to go to Yosemite and, and try to climb on El Cap? Well, it was like, it was a big journey. I started to climb with rope and I had at the beginning a big challenge because I was scared uh, yeah. to fall. I was scared about long runouts. And for me, it was like a big challenge to, to change. I had no endurance, so I could uh, do five moves, five really hard moves. But mm. after I got totally pumped, it, it yeah. uh, didn't matter if it was a big chuck or a little crimp. Yeah. I just was pumped to keep on going. And that's because and you I were really, so used to bouldering? Yeah, yeah. I, I had no endurance, you know. I, I only did five moves or um, five to ten moves. Yeah. And I never did more in a row. And this was the reason why I had no endurance. And I just trained for bouldering at this time. So... For me, it was exciting. For me, it was really cool. I had much more motivation um, than before because it was so new to me and it was a, a new challenge. And I really liked when you have to learn something new. At the beginning, you get better really fast. You know, the first steps into a new sport or into a new style, you are getting better really fast. And I really liked this um experience at the beginning and then uh, for me it was the normal step to go also uh into multi-pitch climbing because uh i had the same you know when it's yeah, higher sure. you are even more scared yes. and you need the bouldering in big walls and for me it was just cool to have a approach to hang in a big wall mm -hmm. the whole day trying out single moves and it's it felt like a big puzzle and I, I never yeah. knew if i can do this whole big wall and then I tried the single pitches and at the end I could do all the single moves and then it was a question of time and a big challenge to connect all the single uh, pitches yeah. and this was for me like a, a bigger adventure and easier to motivate because you're you don't try all the time like three single moves mm. it's it's more um warranty so you have sure. a lot of different things the whole day yeah. what you have to do and this was super cool for me. Oftentimes I feel like I I talk to boulders and sport climbers who, you know, if that was, and this is not not everyone, of course, but if that was their entrance into the sport, a lot of times I find that they, um, they explain that they find trad climbing to be less fun because you, the gear is a distraction from the climbing, if that makes sense. Like, they, mm -hmm. the, what they like about the climbing is just the movement and the athleticism and the process of having to like fiddle in gear and like worry about whether this is right or not and all that stuff. They, I think is less fun than, and it seems to be maybe more time spent not climbing in their mind. And I yeah, maybe it's, 
that's true that you spend less time on, on, on the moves or on just climbing, but you have the mental challenge and this is a big part. It's like uh, a whole other game. And for me, it's like when you have, when I have to invest more time and more energy and when I'm super scared and I can't imagine that I, I, I can do this because I'm too scared uh, to try. Yeah. And then yeah, you know, sometimes I turn around because I feel too scared and then I'm back on the ground again. Mm. And then I think why I, why I didn't try. <laughs> yes. And then yes. I get motivated to, to go back and, and just try it and, and see how it feels when I really fall on, on that gear. Sometimes yeah. the, the risk, what you feel, it feels much more dangerous uh, than it is. And when you can overcome this fear and, and work on your on your mind, then it's a uh, more intense feeling and yes. and a bigger journey. And I have, for me, it's easier to forget uh, sport climbing routes when I, I go on a trip and I try a lot of different sport climbing routes. When when I have an intense uh, experience on a drag climb, I never will forget this because <laughs> I was so scared at this moment and yes. it was so intense. So yeah, yeah. I, I think you said that really, really well. I, I feel I feel similarly myself. It it definitely adds to the challenge and it also adds to the reward maybe um, for that same reason. Yeah, but of course, after a while, you know, when you do only drag climbing a while or when you you know, when we came back from El Cap, uh, we spent such a lot of time just hauling these heavy haul bags, mm, being good, scared, yeah. sleeping in the portalage. And after, it's really like that, that you're just happy going bouldering or yes. sport climbing. You don't have all this gear oh, and yeah. just go and move and nothing else. So yeah. it's really, for me, it's the mix. I, I can't be motivated for one styling climbing uh, all over the year i have to change otherwise i lose my motivation yeah i think i think that's really true for um for me as well i uh, was in yosemite this past october and and got to try several long routes each day several days in a row that each one i really 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 wanted to do for mm -hmm. a long time but you know every morning starts out early and it was super cold and yeah just like you said you spend half the day just totally terrified and then on the fourth day, maybe fifth day, I think we just went bouldering and it was just, I don't think I've ever felt freer than just walking around in my sandals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, nothing else. True. It was amazing. We also did this on the last day when we were there, we just went bouldering and it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that I was really most excited to ask you about as, as a European climber is what your impressions are of the difference between the culture of climbing in Europe versus um, what you've experienced in the U.S.? Well, I think it's not a it's not a big difference. It's like I think the climbers all over the world they are um, they are pretty the same. You know, mm -hmm. they are simple people, uncomplicated, and it's always cool to be in this community and to meet other climbers and then to get new friends. And yeah. this is a really important part in climbing, I think. And the difference about the community maybe is that in the US you can find more girls yeah. on the on the rock. Hmm. So um, here we don't have so many girls climbing outdoors. Interesting. There are there are a lot, but not so many compared to the US. I think. Okay. Do you know why that is? I don't know. I don't really know. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why. And I think 
people from the US are more into training and it's almost a different sport, the, the gym part of climbing and the outdoor part. So uh, not every climber uh, uh, is doing both, you know. There are a lot of climbers who are just focused on um, indoor climbing and we don't have this so much in, in Austria. So this is a difference what I experienced. Yeah. There's something about being in Yosemite that reminds me of some of the the climbing in Europe, only in the sense that the 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 climbing can be so close to um, the community, if that makes sense. Like the the road and and the village and stuff is right at the base of El Cap, and and same with you know some of the the towns in Europe that have climbing like right at the town's edge. Yeah, but in Yosemite it's different. You know, you don't have a long approach. It's maybe I think. He, when it comes down to the approach, mm. then um, LCAP is maybe the, the shortest approach what you can have yeah. for such a big wall. Yes, it's true. But yeah, sometimes it's a little bit, uh, it's a very touristic place. So it, it is. it's always to be in the wall. And I don't li- like the life so much on, in the valley. Mm-hmm. because it's so touristic and there are so many people. It's, yeah, it can feel overwhelming sometimes. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's like that. Yeah. When I was the first time there, uh, I thought it's different, you know. I thought it's more, uh, it's less crowded there and mm-hmm. it's, it's more um, away from from all the crowd, but it's it's really... It's really busy there with a lot of tourism. Yeah. So when you guys were re- there most recently for Magic Mushroom, was that your third free route on El Cap? Yeah, that's okay. true. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you guys had done Zodiac this past summer and then... Um, El Nino. El Nino, that's right. You the guys had done El Nino. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I was m- I'm most curious about as more and more routes on El Cap go free, it seems like most people who are breaking into some of those longer free routes... The obvious first choice is the free rider. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, though, the decision for what else is a possible route becomes, it seems to me, to be like a little less clear. And I was wondering if you could explain how you ended up choosing, um, you know, El Nino and the Zodiac and then most recently Magic Mushroom as your um, as your routes. Mostly because it looks like there's Golden Gate and Lurking Fear and stuff both go free in the mid-13s and um, yeah, I, was, I guess I was I was not sure what you know what goes into that decision. Yeah, first of all, it's always really busy in Yosemite when you are there in October. Yes. So when you don't want to share yeah. the route with a lot of other people, then it's sometimes <laughs> yeah. better to yes to uh, go for another route. Good point. And also, you know, when we choose El Nino, we knew that. Um, there is less crack climbing and we are not the best crack climbers. Okay. So it's more Europe style. It's more face climbing. Yeah. And uh, for the first route on El Cap, it was just, I think, easier for us compared to uh, climbing the monster of it on Freerider. <laughs> sure. And yeah. <laughs> and yeah. After, yeah. I, you know, we had, uh, when we went there for Zodiac, it was not our plan to try zodiac we mm. wanted to try the mirror wall okay. and on the left side of the nose it was so crowded there were so many people yeah. and then we decided to go right and try and try zodiac and yeah yeah we, i don't know 
exactly why we we knew about the the crux beaches. They looked really awesome. We saw it on pictures and um, got inspired to try this route. So, but for me, it would be really cool to um, to try one of the classics yeah. one time, like Salate or Freerider. Yeah, it'd be cool to do that. Um, does a route like the Nose have an appeal, or is that mostly, um, yes. I guess, less interesting because of the crowding? Yeah, this time when we went to Yosemite, I wanted to try the Nose. This mm. was the big goal for for this trip. But we were there in October again, too early, way too early yeah. to try the nose free. So <laughs> then we ended up on Magic Mushroom. Okay. But uh, the nose would be definitely a big goal. Uh, it's like, for me, it's like a dream route what I always had in my mind. I was always um, inspired by the um, ascent of Lynn. And yes. yeah, it's just the best line on El Cap. It's the most obvious line on El Cap. And yeah, I never uh, climbed the nose. Also not on, I never did it on eight climbing. So yeah, I really want to do it. That's it. But I think the best would be to go in December mm -hmm. to try the nose. I think so as well. Okay. I, I have, I've been to Yosemite a couple of times with the goal of, or stated goal of climbing the nose. And I've never even got on the route because the crowding is is so so intense. Yeah, it's crazy. There were seven people on just the first pitch. <laughs> oh my when god! We were walking around the base, and it was one team of five, and then a team of two beneath them. And I was just like, "Oh man, you you guys are never going to get off this wall." Yeah, this is not fun. I think. I agree. I agree. Um, I, I really want to ask you some of the the stuff about Magic Mushroom, but before I do, I was hoping you could tell me a little bit about your partnership with Jacopo. That's such a you know partnerships and and doing these routes as as a team obviously has such an incredible history throughout climbing in general. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to um, how you guys founded your partnership, and also you know how does that contribute to your being able, both of you being able to do some of these routes that you do. Yeah, but we met each other on the bouldering outdoor competition it's called Melo Blocco in Italy. Mm. And um, yeah, kind of our first date was like doing a big wall together um, in the Dolomites in uh, Marmolata South Face. It's a 800 meter wall. And we wanted to climb uh, really not super easy, but kind of easy route with a lot of pitches and um yeah we got we got lost we didn't find the right way and we ended up um uh, staying in this wall for 25 hours rebelling Oof. down and had having an epic uh stay oh. on this wall and then we knew that you know it was a good test because yeah. <laughs> you still got we along didn't. at the end of it yeah, yeah, and we didn't get stressed out, yeah. and yeah, and it was really fun. And after this, we did a lot of um, of big, big walks together. Yeah. For for Jacopo, it was always the biggest motivation to to climb multi beach routes, and for me the same. Mm -hmm. And so it was really easy to uh, to find routes uh, which we wanted to climb together. So, you know, one of the things that I think is the most interesting, and maybe it's because I understand it the least and not being a, uh, a climber who's about to free climb one of these routes in El Cap, is what exactly goes into that logistically. You know, it seems as though 
it is it's almost its own subspecialty of climbing because the demands that are placed on you are so intense and so unique to the fact that you're doing a big 30 pitch route. And so, for example, with Magic Mushroom, I'm looking at the the topo of it right now and the crux pitch is is 14A, but there's also what looks like a dozen or so pitches of 513. I mean, you know, how how do you even break that down and approach it as a challenge? Yeah, well, at the beginning, I thought it's way too hard for me. And when I saw the top for the first time, I was pretty shocked because uh, on the route we tried before on Zodiac, there were um, like five hard pitches and two really hard pitches. And on that climb on Magic Mushroom, it was crazy, so many hard pitches. So yeah. uh, for us, it was like we really wanted to start uh, ground up yeah. and to climb one time from ground up to the top also in combination with eight climbing because um, on the upper pitches there is no protection in there and mm. uh, you can't really protect um, the pitches uh, with mobile gear because the cracks are closed so we, ha- we had to aid up some pitches first yeah. and then we got the overview um, about all of, of these crazy pitches and um we started to work on on them, and um, at the beginning, the hard pitches they felt impossible, and mm. it was just like, wow! I I thought it will be a long term project, a project um, to come back yeah. for for a few years and and keep on trying it. Did you did you progress all the way from from that first trip up the route all the way through sending it in a single trip, or had you guys worked on it for multiple? trips to Yosemite no 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 we we spent I think over 30 uh, nights on the wall and at the beginning the goal was just to reach the top and um, we did this in um, like we we climbed up um, to the farthest point we we could get and then we fixed the fixed line and we worked these pictures and then we got up higher and work the next pitches. And after uh, we reached the top the first time, we rebuilt also down um, to work the last hard pitch. It's a 14A at the, at the really end. It's like yeah. 40 meters. Pitch 22, it looks um, like. It was way up the it's, wall. No, it's uh, 27. Oh, okay. I think in, in the in the official topo, it's 13D. But this was the hardest pitch of um, magic mushroom it was at the end at the very top it's like 40 40 meters below the top what kind of climbing what is it a dihedral is it um is it a crack or or some strange combination most of the hard pitches are corner pitches mm. and the last one was like an overhanging corner with your right hand you always had a, a edge to hold on and with the mm. left a crack and um it's, it was not a pitch where you have to stem. It was more like uh, really bumpy climbing um, on yeah, without footholds. And at the end, there was a hard crux with a long move. Uh, it's like laybacking at the end. Mm. Combination of corner laybacking. Oh, that sounds absolutely brutal. <laughs> so another thing that I've always wondered about freeing some of these routes is the, the trade routes that get freed or that people work to free like um, Freerider or the South Air or something like this, 
there's so much fixed gear on on some of those routes. And is that the case on on Magic Mushroom or some of the other routes where there's not a huge line of of aid climbers going up it, or or are you guys do you have to place a lot of the gear as you go? Or I guess I was hoping you could no. explain a little bit of the, of the style of the ascent to me. Yeah, no, there was uh, there was no no fixed gear. There is there are some poets on this route, but not really a lot. Okay. And um, the eight climbers removed everything. I think all the bird peaks. Um, oh. I think uh, Tommy placed some bird peaks together with Justin at the time when they sent the route. Mm-hmm. And then the eight climbers they removed oh, everything. Wow. There wasn't there were no bird peaks left. So we had to protect the route with some bird peaks on the on the corner pitches yeah. where you can't place um, camelots. So do you hammer and, those in while you're working them and then leave them in place when you try to send the yeah, pitch? Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting because um, the, the official topo for the free rack, all it says is sticky shoes, <laughs> which yeah. I assume is, <laughs> you know, um, No, no, that's not enough. <laughs> it would be a bit kamikaze. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the, yeah, I think not not a lot of people tried this route uh, the last years because it was pretty dirty at the beginning there were a lot of cracks which were totally full of moss and dirt and we had to clean we had to clean these pitches for for days so at the beginning we we used our brushes more than our climbing shoes so do you feel as though you know as as more people um as climbing expands and people become better and more people are attempting to free some of these routes in el cap do you feel as though the climbing community is starting to coalesce around uh, a consensus idea for for what the right style of, of doing these routes is because you know sometimes in certain well, I guess maybe in in certain areas there's like a, a very strong ethic as it comes to like sending trad routes and placing all your gear and, and you know and so on and so forth and is that you know is that the kind of thing where climbers are starting to agree how things should be done on on these big wall routes that have all these other logistics involved or yeah, I think in Europe, in Europe we have more standards for uh, like um, the ethical approach of a big wall is a bit different. So um, normally, when when a guy um, when somebody somebody did the first ascent of a route and he did it in a style like going ground up, placing yeah. all the poles ground up, then I think you should also go ground up to have the same experience to. It's just a you know a bigger experience when you start ground up sure. and feel the same uh, things um, what the guy had when he did the first descent. It's like you really have to earn this route when you go uh, from the top down and uh, top rope every single pitch. Then uh, the experience is for sure different. You can send the route much faster. You don't have to invest uh, so much energy and uh, yeah. But it it all it's all up to to, to the people, you know, you can decide how you want to do this route. But I think you also should um, tell this honestly yeah. to, the, to the people because you can't uh, talk about the fast uh, ascent of this and this big wall and then you don't tell uh, about the style you did it. It, it makes a big difference, of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things after I've seen some of the footage that they recorded of um, – Tommy and Kevin working on the Dawn Wall and then, you know, with previous footage that I've seen of Tommy on on some of these El Cap routes in the past, there's oftentimes a lot of 
um, fixed copperheads or, you know, those things that are just bashed into the, into some of the corners and that sort of thing. And I wonder, Mm -hmm. you know, that the, that sort of fixed gear is, it's not exactly permanent, right? It's not a bolt. And so I wonder, you know, the route must change so dramatically if you were to get up there with the intent of free climbing and then find that some of this fixed gear is not there anymore. Um, you know, is that, do these routes have the potential to change like that? Or is it, you know, are they sort of, yeah, they change completely when you, when you go on Zodiac, um, I think they clean Zodiac two times a year. Oh, no way. Uh, They remove all the fixed gear. And when you are there as a free climber and there is nothing in anymore, then, uh, of course you need something you have to place. You have to place bird beaks or copperheads. When you don't do, then you you can't really uh, uh, try these routes uh, free. It's like, yeah, when there is no crack and no bolt and nothing for 20 meters, then um, you you can't risk such a fall, I think. Man, it must be so exciting to take a fall on a copperhead. I don't know that I will ever, ever have... <laughs> the bravery to do that i mean is that just yes i mean that must be incredibly scary yeah this is the most scary copperheads are for me the most scary protection and you don't know how long they are in there and you don't really know about how solid a copperhead is and normally it's not made for uh free climbing it's made for aid climbing right but yeah we had some falls on on copperheads and they always had so we were we were lucky about it. That's that is incredible. Well, con- congratulations again. I but mean, that just makes the was, accomplishment you know, all the more it was impressive. Like there is, um, there was a, another protection below. Okay. It was not like that. You have to trust one copperhead, sure. and when it uh, when it pop off, then you have a twenty meter fall. So it was not like that for for sure. Not. Well, that's <laughs> that's good, but. Nonetheless, I think that the the mental aspect of it would would be my undoing. I mean, nonetheless, you're still two thousand feet up this wall and falling on a copyright, even if it's a five foot, like two or three meter fall, I think that would be enough to send me back to the ground probably. <laughs> yeah, it, it was also scary for us. But on Magic Mushroom, there was only one pitch uh, protected with copperheads. All the other pitches were, were with um, peaks or camelots. You know, after doing three routes on El Cap, do you guys have your eye on any others? Uh, yeah, <laughs> as, I, as I said, it was would be really cool to try the nose one time, yeah. or it would be also cool to climb a route on to try a route on a single day one time. Yeah, this would be really cool. So yeah, of course we will go back, and it's just a cool place to be. And for us, yeah. it's always cool to go there in the autumn. And yeah, for me, it's more like searching for um, really beautiful routes. Yeah. Well. Look, um, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me about all this stuff today. I hope my English was good oh, enough. Oh, your English it's, was great, yeah. It's not easy to answer Oof. all these questions, you know. I have to think a lot. Yeah. <laughs> no, I thought your English was great. You totally, totally undersold yourself. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, find us online on iTunes or wherever and uh, give us a rating, which helps other people find the show. And we'll see you next week.